Do you know, I haven't done this for over three years. So it's, it's interesting. I'm going to have to take these off, so I can't, you're all now a blur, because I can't read and look at you. So I can't see all your faces. One of the things that I've come across quite a lot in speaking to people in, in the church in the last year, 18 months, is a sense of uncertainty. Yes, I'm saved, but am I going to make it to the end? Yes, I'm saved. I think I'm saved, but where do I go from here? Does he, can he really love me? I was praying with someone um, quite recently, and how many of you have said this? Lord, I don't really deserve it, but nevertheless, would you? And the thing is, what a silly prayer that is. And it's only when you think about it, yeah, that's absolutely right. We don't deserve it. But the point is, there's grace. And we don't need to deserve. And sometimes I think we think that if we don't live up to God's expectations, or even worse, the pastor's expectations, or the assistant pastor's expectations, or the elder's expectations, or our own expectations of what we think God would want us to have and be, then God's not going to bless us. I've got one thing to say to that. <laughs> God's undeserved favor to man. So that's what I'm going to be looking at today. And asking three very simple questions, which aren't really that earth-shattering. Who am I? Why am I here? And how I got here? And perhaps the most important question that a man asked, what do I need to do to be saved? So stick with me. I'm, I'm not a PowerPoint person. Those of you who know me know I'm a Luddite. Um, but I've got some... Um, some words from Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, turn with me. If not, pin your ears back, because we're looking at two sections in Ephesians 1 and then going on to Ephesians 2. So from the start of Ephesians 1, we're reading up to verse 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Note that, because I'm going to come back to that one again. Perhaps not this time, but that's really important. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Now, follow on with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit 
that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now hear two wonderful words. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of your own. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. There you've got it. So, bit of history, very quickly, because I love history. If Ephesus. Has anyone here been to Ephesus? Isn't it great? It, it's fantastic. It is probably one of the most... Um, stunning of the ancient uh, city still there. It, it was covered over, can you believe, when you, when you see it? If not, look at pictures that are online uh, for many millennia, but uh, it's been uncovered. The streets have been cleared. A lot of buildings are still there. It's remarkable. Uh, it was a city under the domination of the Romans at the time uh, that Paul was writing, and it was the gateway to Asia Minor. Before that, it had been Pergamum had been the, the, the main center, but it changed to uh, Ephesus. It was a huge seaport, massive dredging, uh, because it was, it's up a river, uh, and they had this huge seaport there, civilized, center of commerce. They had plumbing. They had central heating. They had one of the biggest libraries in the world and the biggest theater in the known world. At that time, it could hold 25,000 people. Kathy and I sat in it and read Ephesians and Acts 19. It was, it was, a, oh, it was a magical thing. But you could stand on the, um, on the bottom and talk. And right at the back, about, what, 400 feet up, you could still be heard clearly. Remarkable. Scene of a riot, of course, uh, when Paul preached there. We come on to that. Alexander the Great went there. Darius the king went there. It was governed by the Greeks, by the Persians, by the Romans. But it was worldly. They thought themselves as cultured. They thought a lot of themselves. Prostitution was rife. The most notable feature, as soon as you got there, you couldn't miss it, was one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. If you're a Roman, then you'd think Diana, the, you know, the huntress. And that was the cult upon which the city had been built and upon which it had all its wealth. Now, Paul was there for about two years. It's interesting. If you want to read about it, read in Acts 19. And it's there, you know, for the first time, he talks to 12 men who were baptized in the baptism of John. And there he laid hands on them, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit there and then. So it was a really important place. He caused a riot because of his preaching and was nearly lynched because so many people were affected by the glory of the gospel. So it's really, if you go to Bristol, London, Manchester, Cardiff, 
it's going to be a city much like that, a cultural uh, um, and vibrant uh, commercial center. Now, an epistle is a letter that was written from Rome. If, again, if you read on a little bit in, in Acts, I think it's um, 24, 25, something like that, um, Paul had to leave there in the end, and they were in tears because he said, I've had a, a dream, a vision. I've been told time and time again, I'm going in bondage. And in fact, he went to Rome to die. And he was there for several years and wrote a number of letters. But he wrote this letter to his dear brothers, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful uh, in Christ. And he was telling them a number of things. So, any of you children of the 80s, how many of you remember Hissing Sid? Yeah? <laughs> Captain Beaky and Hissing Sid. Well, preachers love to have sibilation, if possible, or, or, or uh, repetition. So, if you remember nothing else, remember Hissing Sid and that you were a sinner, saved by grace, you're a saint, you're seated in heavenly places, you're a son of God, and you're going to end up as a soldier. <laughs> remember all of that. So let's start, I, I really want to, to go to where we were and then where we go to, but I'm going to start to who we are. How are these men and women described? Saints. The Greek word is hagazio. They're also called this in Romans 1.7, loved by God and called by the saints, in Colossians 1.2. So, who are saints? Are they super spiritual? Are they someone a bit special? Someone whose feet don't actually touch the floor? Someone who the Pope has made special? No. I want you to look at the person next to you. That person, if he is, he is Christ's, is a saint. Tell them, you're a saint. Great, because that's what you are. What does a saint mean? It means to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be made holy. And that's what has happened to you. You're not religious. Oh, perish the thought that you'd be religious. But you are set apart by God, called, chosen to be holy and blameless before him. And that's verse 4. So, again... Look at yourself in the mirror. Sometimes I think we have a pretty poor impression of ourselves, don't we? You know, I know I do. I, I look at myself, oh gosh, who am I, really? But you are a child of the living God. You have been chosen. I, I, actually, I've got I to go back here. Sorry, this is, this is going off piste. But Zephaniah 3, listen to this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Now listen to this. He will rejoice over you in gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's our God going, hey, that's my child. And that's where he's coming from. And he has chosen you. Chosen to be holy and blameless, we are adopted. We are sons. The Bible uses the word sons, but don't worry, girls, you're in there as well. Because son has a particular um, legal significance. Because, of course, it means you have status. You are going to inherit. 
and you are someone special within the family. So children of the living God. We are redeemed. What does redeemed mean? Well, I mean, if someone were to take me away and hold me for ransom, would you pay anything? Well, probably not. <laughs> but a redemption is, um, for example, those of you who have had houses, uh, if eventually you come to the end of the term and you've paid off the mortgage, the mortgage is redeemed, which means it's paid off in full and there's a stamp and seal put on it. And that's us. We are redeemed, sealed. And we have an inheritance. I'm going to come on to that. What exciting stuff. And a purpose. And the purpose is in verse 12. To the praise of his glory. That's you guys. Okay? You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's verse 14. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Now, we all get guarantees. How many of you buy double glazing? You get a guarantee with it and it all goes bust. I have people coming into the office saying, well, I've got a guarantee. The guarantee is only as good as the company that stands behind it. Your guarantee is the Holy Spirit, and he has sealed you. And it says in verse 15, he is a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, our bodies are described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that the minute you are saved, the minute that transaction is undertaken, you become a place where the Holy Spirit indwells permanently. You are sanctified. So in Romans 8, verse 15, it says this. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Again, Abba, Father extraordinary and then we are seated in heavenly places so here's the first lot of s's sons sealed with the, whole, with the promise of the holy spirit separated sanctified if any man is in christ he is a new creation or creature old things have passed away behold all things have become new and that, guys, is you. So let's follow the progression. Sinner or slave, saved, saint, son, seated in heavenly places. I'm running out of space here. Soldier. And perhaps we'll come back to soldier one day. That's in Ephesians 6, because that's what you're called to be, to put on the whole armor of God. Sorry, I'm going off beast again. So there we are. Our natural state, therefore, the one in which we are all born, is sinner. So verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. It's quite extreme. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. Do you recognize yourself? Well, that's us, every one of us. Whether we're there in the flesh pots, you know, doing the John Travolta and whatever, or whether it's just the disobedience to God. How does Paul describe this? The Greek word is nekros, a corpse. And that's our natural state. Our spiritual state is we're alive physically, but dead spiritually. And that's all of us. And if 
you're not yet a Christian here today, if you haven't yet tasted the glory of God, that's where you are. But it's all right because there's good news coming. What can a corpse do? Thank you. Yeah. It can stink and it can rot. And that's all. It can't help itself at all. It's impossible by itself to recognize or to correct its condition or bring itself back to light, life. The state of death, therefore, is according to this world there. That's what it says. It's normal. It's universal. And we're all born like that. And so here's the other set. We're born in sin, and our prince is Satan, the first, the devil, the first who fell. And he rules in that domain. Now, heavenly places is a spiritual idea, and there is a battle going on in heavenly places. We know about that, and he is at the forefront of the enemy. And when we're in that state of being dead in sin, we're controlled, we're slaves, effectively, that's what we were. And that's all of us amongst whom we all once lived. And all humanity shares that same starting point. And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The pass mark is 100%, even if we're 95. I'm, has anyone ever got 95 in an exam? Swat. But we've all failed. And then these two words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. And there's no change that can happen except for that. And here's the thing. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. You can't even earn salvation. Don't bother. You know, if you live a religious life, you're still going to die in sin. Whereas, but God works and changes. Once we were dead, helpless, hopeless, undeserving, he made us alive. But also, look at these words. He made us alive, and this is verse 5, together with Christ. Huh? We are called brothers. We are called to an inheritance. And 1 Peter says, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heavenly places for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? We are joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. He calls us brother, friend. Isn't that remarkable? To people who were enemies, dead in trespasses and sins. So by him we get all of the wonderful benefits that God gives. And it goes on to say, by grace you've saved. We all know, grace, undeserved favor. You can't deserve it, you can't earn it, but he gives it. And has made us spiritually alive. Now we're in a new dimension. We have a new life. The dead have become alive. And we're seated in heavenly places. I'll come back Perhaps another time to talk about seated in heavenly places, because that's, you know, have, you, have any of you ever heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? He was in Port Talbot, a very, very, very uh, brilliant man, but he was a physician uh, in Port Talbot originally, uh, went to London, to Harley Street, and then he was called as a minister, and he spent 30 years 
in uh, preaching in Westminster Chapel. Uh, if you ever want to read them, I've got, I think, nine or ten volumes of Ephesians. Uh, it's extraordinary. He preached on a semicolon one day because there's such richness in this word. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But God, it's complete. It's a change of spiritual position. So we've moved from being sons of Satan, dead, to the sons of the living God. If you've ever watched a caterpillar, which is not a particularly pleasant thing to look at, is it? But what does it change into? The most beautiful butterfly. And it's irreversible. Let's make that clear. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. You've become a butterfly, guys, and there's no going back. Why? So that in the coming ages, he can show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. You think things are good now? Hey, man alive, what's coming? We've got just a foretaste of it here. And there's one other promise. This is very important. Hang on to this. If you are someone who struggles with doubt, if you're someone who struggles and thinks, oh, God can't really love me. Look at what I've done today. Look at what I am. Oh, life is hard. Jesus promises in John chapter 6, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whosoever comes, I will never cast out forever. John 10, because he obviously wanted to say this more than once. You have given them to me in his prayer, and none shall pluck them from my hand. Go to the end of Romans 8. Paul says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Anything? Absolutely nothing. It's remarkable. So when you're in doubt, go to Romans 8.38. Go to John chapter 6. I think it's in Philippians, isn't it? That Paul says, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded, that's totally convinced, that he is able to commit that which, uh, to um, keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's me. No doubt at all. So don't please question. Just say, Lord, thank you. And when you louse up like me every day, say, oh, Lord. I've done it again. I'm sorry. 1 John 4 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're told that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Well, if you do north and south, you've got finite points. But if I start going east... Well, the West is just as far away as when I first started. It's remarkable. That's how far your sins are. We are washed whiter than snow. How do we do it? Well, here's the thing. There is an impenetrable barrier between us and God in that natural state. There's just no way that we can get through to him but God. In his love, sent his son. And it says, he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 
made sin. He took the sin upon himself, dealt with it, rose to heaven, and now we have communion with God. Simple as that. Guys, if you don't know Christ here today, man, you've got something exciting coming. How does it happen? With that question in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? Really quite simple. Do you believe that? That's all it takes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It ain't rocket science. He's made it really simple. Look, if an idiot like me can get there, anyone can. Everyone in Romans, it says, who calls on the name of the Lord. Can anyone finish it? Sorry, didn't hear that. Got it. Call on the name of the Lord. That's all it takes. It starts with grace, but more than that, it almost ends with grace because even that believing, it's called faith, isn't it? If I have faith, am I going to? Yeah, no, I'm not, am I? <laughs> it's what you have faith in. The story is always told about the, the man with a fried egg on his ear. And he walks into a, into a says, hey man, I've got this fried egg. This fried egg is life. Oh, this fried egg is really important. It speaks to me. Does it make it real? But what you have faith in matters, and it's Christ who has died. Historically provable, intellectually provable. God says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And experientially, totally provable. You speak to anyone here who knows Christ today, and they say, yeah, he has changed my life. And in order that we see how totally helpless we are, by grace you are saved, and that of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So even the faith, the little seed of faith that you start off with, that's a gift from God. Isn't that great? So why? So that we can be his workmanship, created for good works. Another S. I've just found another S. It's just come to me. Um, Matthew 5. Let your light shine. Oh, I love you. Before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are called to good works. But it ain't your good works that's going to save you. Don't we know very many people who are far nicer, far better, are more diligent than us, far more generous. I mean, it's called common grace. You get it throughout the world. I was listening um, on the radio this morning to, um, oh, Barry Cryer, you know, the chap who um, does, I'm sorry, I'll, uh, I'll read the Hamlet clue. And he was saying that since he's had a hip operation, he's walking with a stick, and he's noticed the wonderful kindness of many people. And that's right. Kindness won't save you religious, religiosity won't save you. Christ's blood saves. A sinner, that's what I am, saved by grace. 
seated in the heavenlies. Let's just do that quickly. Seated in the heavenlies. What that means is that there is a spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. Oh, I've got to do this as well. Am I all Well, whatever. <laughs> Listen, seated in heavenly places, it is a present participle. What does that mean? It means now. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's heaven on earth now. We are already Christ's. We have the fullness. We don't actually because it doesn't yet appear, Paul says, what we will be. If this is good, just imagine what it's going to be like in heaven, that inheritance waiting for us. But the thing about an inheritance, unlike we slimy lawyers who can change a will at the last minute, God enters into what's called, and here's another legal expression, a covenant. And again, those of you who have bought houses will have covenants in your conveyances. Unbreakable promises. You must, and there are consequences if you break them. God has made an unbreakable promise covenant with you. I will save you. I will keep you. You will endure to the end. You will sit with me in glory. And it's happening now. I actually, I do sometimes miss old hymns because I'm an old stickler like this. And I found that this is a hymn that, that came to me. A chap called Top Lady in 1770 wrote this. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing. Not fear with their righteousness on, my person and offering to bring. What he's saying there is, I needn't fear going into God's presence because Jesus has done it for me. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest, remember the earnest, the Holy Spirit, is given. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. That last bit says, when, when, they, when they've gone to heaven, and those, we, we've all got friends, family, who've gone to heaven. They're more happy, but they ain't a jot more secure. Your place is assured. Now, friends, that's for you who are Christ's. Isn't that wonderful? If you're not Christ's today, the word says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You may not have another. God is calling you. C.S. Lewis took a while to come to, to faith, but he called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven because he would not let him go. Everywhere he went, there was something reminding him about the goodness of God. Now you're here today, and therefore it's quite possible that God is calling you don't waste that opportunity. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus has risen from the dead, you shall be saved. The promise, as I said, it ain't rocket science. It's a bit like the man who stands at the bottom of the road. Have I got anything in here? 
what have I got a £10 note? And there he is, he's waving the £10 note. And you say, look, there's a man down at the bottom of the road. There's a £10 note there. All you've got to do is take it. What are you going to do? Go on then, take it. <laughs> Here we are. I hope you put it in the box afterwards. <laughs> and that's it. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? So if God is speaking to you today, come afterwards. Come speak to one of us. Speak to one of the elders. Speak to one of the prayer team. They'll be here and available for you. I'm going to pray now. And perhaps the, the band can come up. Dear gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for such love, such redeeming power. Thank you for that you've called us. Thank you that you've made us what we are today nothing of ourselves and thank you for that enduring call lord i pray that you would touch each and every heart here today for those of us who know you fire us up afresh and anew within help us to realize the goodness that we're in seated in heavenly places that we are sons we have inalienable rights that you love us that you dance and sing over us. Thank you for that. And Lord, for those of my friends here who don't know you yet, Lord, speak into their hearts now. Be that irresistible hound of heaven drawing them to you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We glorify the God of all creation, the God who wants to delight in us.